We can be sarcastic free for one day. No problem. No problem. Brothers, good morning. Grace and peace. Good to see everybody today. Um, we're going to try to move through some more of the uh, trial uh, that Kurt, Pastor Kurt started uh, with y'all last week. Um, if you uh, are reading through the Psalms, a Psalm a day, um, we're about to turn over again to start the uh, Psalms for the third time. And, but we are in Psalm 147 today. And if you'll remember, the last of the Psalms are this uh, effort to uh, put all of our heart into praising the Lord. Uh, you know, praising God and being thankful are almost the same things. Uh, and so these uh, psalms really help us to uh, be thankful, and that's uh, fitting for the season that's about to approach. And so uh, Psalm 147, let's pray together. <clears throat> praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of of the stars, and he calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain. And he makes the grass grow on hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his commands to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends the word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen indeed. All right, well, we are in Mark 14, and we are going to pick up in verse 62. I believe Pastor Kurt got through the uh, through the I am statement. Is that right? Anybody want to give a quick summary on what you learned about the I am statement there, whenever he says I am? He actually, it's it's really out of character here that Jesus answers a question. But when they finally ask the right right question, he will give them the right answer. I think it's really cool. So what did you what do you remember from Kurt's teaching on the I am? He's saying the name of Yahweh. That's right. He is literally saying God's name. 
uh, Yahweh. Very good. And uh, so you're going to see in verse 63 um, that that does not go off, go over very well. And it's hard to, uh, it's like hard to explain how dense these next two verses are. So we may just be here for for the morning, and we may get lucky to even get past that. Um, so I am. So let me ask this question: What is the what is from your memory from last week? What is the main uh, thing that has the uh, the religious leaders of uh, Israel so stirred up about Jesus? Like what are, what are they actually saying that is the problem? Thanks be God. Say that again. Claims to be God. Claims to be God, and that's definitely this tied up in this I am thing. But you have to kind of go a little bit deeper. And if 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 he is claiming to be God, what is their assumption of him? That he's telling the truth? Oh, that's right. So like one of the worst things you can do in Israel is be considered a false prophet. You know, what prophets do is they speak for God, right? Um, they don't necessarily foretell the future, but they speak for God. And if you're speaking for God and you're not telling the truth, what are you really doing? Blaspheming. It, it, we'll get to blaspheming later, yeah. Uh, you're really trying to use whatever kind of hoopspa you have to manipulate other people, to use other people for your own ends. So false prophecy, it's a bad, bad thing. And so that's that's their main issue. So they're they're trying to whack away at him. And I'm sure Kurt Kurt uh went over this with you, but if you back up a little bit, uh one of the uh charges they levy against him in verse fifty-eight. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another. Is that really false? No. Ah. This comes from a passage in John. Look at this in John. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What are they saying? We heard him say, I will destroy the temple. See the difference? It is very, very subtle, but it is there. They are accusing Jesus of being a revolutionary that's going to tear the temple down, which is no small thing. I mean, it took the whole, uh, a whole Roman army to tear the temple down and destroy it. But see, see the difference how they just slightly twist Something that Jesus said. And so it's actually, they're accusing him of being a false prophet, and yet they are the ones that are saying false statements about Jesus. That should not go unnoticed, right? Okay. So back to here. So, so he asked the question. Also, did, did, uh, did Kurt point out last week whenever he says, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? That it's really, the R is not in the Greek. It really should say, you are the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. 
So you you know like you put on your 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 thespian hat and you have to say you know I can say it you are the Messiah the son of the blessed one and you're making a statement or you can inflect it differently and make it a question if you'll turn to 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 eight to Mark eight verse twenty nine just flip back there. Show you some little trickery that Mark is doing here. It's really cool. This is Jesus talking to Peter, or talking to the disciples. But what about you, he asked. Y'all remember this. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. The Greek wording in these two places is exactly the same. Who are we fixing to have a conversation about right after this? Peter. Peter. That's right. Um, and Jesus has already told Peter what Peter is going to do. And, uh, we all know how that ends with Peter denying that he knows Jesus. So who's the false prophet? All right. Questions on that? Very interesting. I think very interesting. All right. Now to the fun stuff. So he answers the question I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he said. You have heard the, what is it? Blasphemy. What do you think? All right, Brent. Put you to the test today. What is your good definition of blasphemy? Like, if one of your guys at work asks you a question, Brent, what is this blasphemy stuff? What are you going to ask? What are you going to say? I would say that, that is doing something against God, basically doubting His character. Oh, good, really good. Yeah. His character in such a way that would turn other people away. That's that's really good. Yeah, it is definitely something that is rooted in character. No doubt about it. Another good word for blasphemy is slander. Um, and so it is, it is seeking to tear somebody down. Now they were, they believed what, they believed deeply about Jesus, what uh, they thought they believed, that they were wrong. Right, but it was very much in their interest to make sure that other people would not continue to pursue following him, and so they slander him. Okay, so keep that blasphemy back in the corner of your of your head. Um, John is just pulling from all different directions of scripture here. Uh, first place we need to go is to Daniel chapter seven. The book of Ezekiel and the books of Daniel, they use this phrase, Son of Man, more than any other books of the Bible. And then you get to the New Testament, this becomes Jesus' preferred title for himself is Son of Man. All right. The whole 
of chapter 7 is fun, fun reading for sure. Basically, Daniel has a vision of four beasts. Whenever you think, biblically speaking, of beasts, who do you think, what do you think of? Revelation. The book of Revelation. Very good, Tom. Well, where does the book of Revelation get its images for the beasts? Right here in the book of Daniel, book of Ezekiel, those type places. So, uh, so he has this vision of these four beasts. These, to, just to sum up real quick, these four beasts represent four empires. Uh, most likely they represent the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. Um, and so, just notice why, why he's talking about these beasts in verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, which is one of the descriptions, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up from among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eye, had eyes like the eyes of a human being, a, of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So just circle that. So one of the, one of the primary ways that these beasts function is with their mouth and how they speak boastfully and how they speak words of blasphemy. Alright? It it's, it's rarely, it's rarely said this way, but when the serpent is speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden, they are speaking with words of blasphemy. They are marring God's character. God, God did not say that. When somebody says that, what are they saying, Kate? They're saying what is about, about that about that being's character that they are what? Deceiving. Exactly. God's a liar. Well, it's interesting too. He doesn't do it that directly, though. That's right. Twist it just like the. That's right. That's right. You're a liar, and and then you will not surely die, which is exactly what he said the consequence would be. And so this is this is what is coming into focus. All right, let's keep going. Verse nine. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Underline or highlight thrones. One would assume if he's seeing a vision of heaven, he would see how many thrones? One. But he sees two. At least two. He sees thrones. Thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair on his head was white as wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the, there it is again, boastful words. The horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain. And its body destroyed and thrown into the, to the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. 
In my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow. The exiles that would have been exposed to the book of Daniel, how inspiring would that have been for them? To be looking forward to that. And then when Jesus says this about himself, all of this gets uploaded, right? And basically what Jesus is saying is, I am the king. I am this one that is seated on this throne. I am the king. Could not take it and begin to tear their, tear their robes. I want to show you another thing really quick. If you turn over to the book of Revelation. Chapter 13. familiar with the book of Revelation, chapter 12 is huge. Um, the big red dragon is standing in front of the woman, ready to tear the, the child that she's about to give birth to pieces. Uh, the dragon is not successful. The dragon is not successful. And then war in heaven breaks out. It's crazy. And then there is this discussion in chapter 13 about a beast. I want you to notice it. Um, let's just start verse 1 the dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea it had ten horns and seven heads we heard that today Yep, with ten crowns on its horns and on each head on each head a rent blasphemous name yeah this is what beasts do the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because it had been given authority, because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast, and who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words of, proud words and blasphemies, and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God. And two, it's interesting in the Greek here, that next word, mine is slander. What do you have? Slander. Slander. It's the same word. 
It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to blaspheme, or you could change, it opened its mouth to slander God and to slander his name. So cap this up. His name, his dwelling place, and those who live in heaven. All right. So, I don't know if you meant to do this, Brett, but it's kind of like you unpacked the whole thing at the very beginning with your comment. That uh, when we blaspheme God, and or when people blaspheme God, and they blaspheme his name, they're not just saying that God's name stinks, but they're saying God's character stinks. Character and name, biblically speaking, are inextricably bound together. So we, we, I mean, I think y'all know this. What are the, what are the five leading character traits of God? Passionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithful. Yeah. So the question is, does that work in your life? Does it work for you to trust God, for God's character to be like that? And for us to embrace it, and we are made in his image, and so that is the character that we are to reflect back out into the world. Does it work? And the beast is saying, nuh-uh, that doesn't work. You live your life like that, you're going to get pushed around and you're going to die. That's what the Romans do, right? So that's what it means to slander God's name. That God's character does not work. What was the second thing? His dwelling place, right? And like try to connect back with our sermon series on Sunday mornings. Uh, God dwells where? In the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God. And it's not something that's far away, but really the kingdom of this world and this kingdom and the kingdom of God are these two parallel realms of living and being, right? And to say that God dwells in heaven, um, and to, to slander that is to say, no, that the values, so we got the character traits and then God's dwelling is the values of what it means to be in his kingdom. That those values don't work. What is the beast always doing? Talking, talking, talking. And slandering God's name, right? And in the kingdom of God, going back to this past Sunday, what's the leading value of the kingdom of God? Listening. Mm, Come on. It's beautiful. This is the, your 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 conversation of relationship versus manipulation is the same. Thing. Same thing. That's right. Tom was saying that one of the things that I like to talk about is we can either be in a relationship with God in a life giving relationship, or we can be using God to our own ends, manipulating God for our own ends, for sure. And that is certainly what the. Uh, the beast, that's the way it does its work. And then what's the last one? The third one? And those who dwell where? In heaven. Hmm. Who's that? The angels, the heavenly hosts. Okay, what else? Make a case for it, Richard, that it's us. 
and believes in God and always utters getting up dead. And even though we may not be in heaven per se, we're still in heaven? Exactly. Oh, man. Took the words right out of my mouth. No, it's, <laughs> no, it's really good. It's, uh, yeah. Especially in the book of Revelation, there are two, there are really two, the human beings are divided up into two groups. Those who dwell on the earth and those who dwell in heaven. If you don't know, know what John's doing with those phrases, it's like, oh, yeah, you can make the book of Revelation sound like all sorts of crazy stuff. Because you say, yeah, I dwell on the earth, right? We do. We are here. But when John uses that phrase in Revelation, he's not talking about us. He is talking about those who are in rebellion against God. Those who dwell in heaven are those who are in relationship with God. Who are living a faithful covenant relationship with God. And so, this is the, this is the work of the powers. Uh, you know, the principalities and the powers. That's what the beast is. And it's this, the work of the powers to get us to think, no, God is trash. And we don't even take it that far. God is not trustworthy. If God's not trustworthy, then I gotta take matters into my own hands. So, uh, whenever the religious authorities, the high priest included, hears this, they've got a choice. Always a choice, right? They have a choice to embrace Jesus' answer as truth or to insist that it's false. And we know which direction they go. You have heard the blasphemy. Isn't it ironic that he, the high priest says Jesus is... It, the high priest is basically saying, no, you're the beast. And actually, who's the beast? He is. He is. That's right. They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began, this is very interesting, verse 65, then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Well, if this guy's a prophet, and if he's blindfolded, he should be able to tell you who it is that's beating them, beating him, right? Well, again, these people have a misconstrued understanding of what a prophet does. A prophet simply speaks for God. He doesn't do magic tricks. All right. Man, I've kind of taken you all over the place this morning. What are your questions? What are your thoughts? I think it's interesting when you read the news or listen to the news about blasphemy that's going on over in Israel in the same way that they were doing this to Jesus.
Right. It's one of most most frustrating things about living in modern times. It is very hard to get to the bottom of the truth. Right? And people will gladly use lies to forward their agenda. You know, one of the things that... Just give me one second, Aaron. Um, one of the things that um, I find curious... I've had, you know, throughout throughout the years had conversations with people, different Bible studies, and what is it like as followers of Jesus to live a life free of lying? And not even just free of lying, but free of spin, free of of uh, unholy word selection or word deletion, but simply living our lives in a way where we are completely honest in all of our conversations. And really, the reason why we struggle to do that is because we don't trust the character of God. That's it. We don't believe that God's going to have our back, so I've got to spin the truth to keep myself safe. Right? And so, it's like, the only way to combat uh, the pervade, the the Pervasive? Is that what I'm trying to say? The pervasive untruths that get told. And that doesn't just happen in Israel. It's everywhere. It's Republicans. It's Democrats. It's, we're going to say the things, whether it's true or not, that's going to help further our cause. Well, we are people that live in the kingdom of God where the truth reigns supreme. And we, the truth can be trusted. And we don't have to tell lies. And I'll get this response more than once. There's no way I can live my life without telling lies. And I go, oh. Right? Because when we lie, we are using the primary means of the enemy. To try to move forward our life at our cause. I guess one thing I'd say is by trusting God, it gives you spiritual freedom. No doubt. Free. And then the other thing, what the, the high priest and everybody is saying here is almost like what we're seeing today with Iran and their proxies with Israel before the Jews trying to crush them. Uh, I mean, it's similar, again, you can make the case it's similar to what these guys are doing to Jesus. Yeah. Of course. Sometimes they'll never tell me that Benjamin Netanyahu has never lied. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. Come on. What are the questions you have? What's the opposite, Brent, of blaspheming God, God's name, God's dwelling, and God's people? I was going to say praising Him. Mm. Helping bring others to see His character. That's good. That's right. So reflecting back at Him. I think that's spot on. 
That's right. So, in small ways, large ways, we can blaspheme God's name, His character, and His dwelling, or we can be so caught up in it that we, in all of our doings, in all of our relationships with others, that we reflect His character back into the world. It's really good, Brent. I love it. Trust, yeah. trust even when it's painful. Trust when it's painful. Good. I was going to say, stuff spinning out of the class meetings, the class experiments. Yep. You're doing the path of sanctification would be that you do that without thinking or trying. That it's just inherent in you, the character of God, and that we're on this journey where, like, we're trying to do, do this every day. Just live those five characters. Yep. And when you start thinking about it, it's hard. Yeah. Of a parent of a bunch of kids, it's hard to Yes. But I think that that should be our aim. And I think if we can get to a point in our life where you're reflecting the character of God without even trying to, it's just your being. Like, that is Wesley's idea of sanctification. And it's okay to be on that path trying to do it. But I think wanting and recognizing when you fail is a big first step. Absolutely. As opposed to the inward, oh, it's okay to do it that one time because this is mine. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's just, I think everyone's trying to get to that point where we are reflecting the character of God. That should be everyone's aim in life. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Really good. And I think it's complicated in the fact that how do you justify not lying at times for the sake of someone else? How do I tell someone, oh no, your kid's not going to get killed. Oh yeah, well, that, yeah, those are, yeah, yeah, that's, those are tough, tough calls, man. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, man, there's all sorts of ways that I could challenge you this morning, but I think that's, 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 that's good enough. What, what, what is it, what would it really look like if I covenanted with God to say, God, I want to always tell the truth. And not just tell it, not tell the truth per se. There was a, there was a great story that uh, was told at Jim Henry's funeral yesterday. And he was goofing around, but it was still funny. Um, they were fishing in Alaska, and they saw this guy catch this huge salmon, and Jim wanted to buy it from him. And so they gave him, you know, across the boat, they gave him $100, and then the guy threw the fish, and Jim caught the fish. So he spent the rest of the day telling everyone that he caught this big fish. <laughs> Now, he never intended for that story to continue like that, but he enjoyed it for a little while, but then went on to say, well, I really caught the fish that somebody had already caught and thrown to me, right? So that's a funny example. Uh, that's a harmless example that he eventually came around later that day and told the truth. But to live our life telling the truth, to live our life free from spin, and in order to do that, the only way we can is to by trusting God's character, right? And that God's got our back. So there you go. So next week, Pastor Kurt will pick up with Peter and um, talk about somebody who couldn't tell the truth. He couldn't tell it. When, it. when it mattered the most, when his back was against the wall, he could not tell the truth. Because he did not 
trust God. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all have a great day. Thank you.